Newsweekly is an ad-free listener-supported podcast made possible by listeners like you. Just go to patreon.com slash Shah. that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, to support the podcast. Top stories of the week. Who burnt the burgers? Also, Biden bites back. All that and more on Newsweekly. Hello and welcome to News Weekly, where we punch news in the headlines weekly. Burgers and bigots news now. It turns out things aren't actually as bad as we think they are, but somehow that makes them worse than we wish they are. Remember last year a Palestinian-owned burger shop in the predominantly Jewish suburb of Caulfield burnt down? An arson probe is underway after a Caulfield burger shop was torched in an attack the owner claims was a hate crime. That burger shop was named Burgatory, which makes it burning down pretty apt, actually. Previously, the burger chain's only real claim to fame was naming a burger after TV presenter and symbol of Australian media's celebration of mediocrity, Carl Stefanovic. I'm just watching Carly, he's drooling looking at pics of your burger, but I believe you've got something a little special for him. Yeah, we do, so I'll pick it up over here. Yeah. As I promised Carl last time, we were going to create a burger for him, so this is called The Wrath of Carl. <laughs> and it's, it's actually available on the menu for a limited time. Um, let me tell you about it. It's, it starts with wicked hot sauce, yeah. which is a really spicy house-made oh, chilli hot yeah. sauce. Yeah. Then it's got some hand-cut pickles down there. I don't know if you can see them. Right over there. Yep. Mm. Two smashed patties that are drooling and melted with cheese. We've got maple-glazed bacon. Oh, yeah. We've got some hand-cut red onions, potato gems. You, you can't go without the potato gems. And then we've got the house-made purity oh, mayonnaise. Yeah. And it's, inf- it's, it's on an infused charcoal bun. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to have the so, gasser yeah. after that. I mean, I think I'd burn the place down just for coming up with that fucking monstrosity. After the fire, the owner claimed he'd been receiving death threats for his calls for a ceasefire in Gaza, but did ask that supporters not gather to protest near the shop, although his reasoning was dipped in as much conspiracy theory as his burgers are in Greece. There's no benefit of us protesting at the Caulfield store because some people out there will purposely try and bait you into doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing and then they'll use that against you and us to change the narrative and make us look like the bad guys. Well, he clearly underestimated their commitment to look like bad guys because a subsequent pro-burgatory protest did take place with large groups of people gathering near a synagogue and making locals feel unsafe, leading to a counter-protest and the whole thing ending up about as messy as an attempt to eat the wrath of Karl would. A man is pinned to the ground by police while two angry groups are separated by the street. The tense scenes began early up the road before the demonstration settled on Prince's Park. As night fell, insults were thrown from both sides, one man stomping on an Israeli flag. So Jewish people in Caulfield felt threatened while Palestinian supporters claimed Burgatory was burned down by pro-Israel extremists and Australia became caught up in the biggest burger-related controversy since the first slice of beetroot was slid between two burger buns. 
Since then, the story turned out to be a little bit more complex. A report in The Age revealed that Hash Taye, the owner of Burgatory, never provided evidence of death threats to the police, despite being asked to do so. And then this week, police announced that they've made two arrests over the fire and announced, quote, We know this incident was not a hate crime, it wasn't motivated by prejudice or politics, end quote. In fact, one of the people arrested is named Habib Musa, which is a noticeably non-Jewish name. So it turns out the fire had nothing to do with Israel Gaza, the owner has yet to provide evidence of death threats and the protests in Caulfield were an even worse idea than they initially seemed. On the positive side, we now have confirmation that there aren't gangs of Israel supporters running around Melbourne with lighter fluid targeting burger shops. And if that isn't enough evidence that sometimes the hate you think you see isn't real and is probably just some self-promoting asshole taking advantage of emotional trauma, it turns out, according to the police, the anti-Israel rally that took place at the Sydney Opera House on October 9th didn't actually have people saying, gas the Jews. Emphatically, our expert has said that it is where's the Jews. Police investigating whether violence was incited at the protest sent the video to a biometric science expert who found the subtitles were incorrect. Those audio and visual files have not been doctored. They are simply cuts from a more parent file. Obviously, subtitles are someone that is an opinion of someone putting those subtitles on there of what they hear. Now, just to remind you, the police are not disputing that people chanted Fuck the Jews. That was definitely said. The evidence is just that gas the Jews wasn't said. And the reason that matters is that the former isn't an incitement to violence according to the law, while the latter is. Now, you may disagree with the law. I mean, I definitely don't think fuck the Jews is a peaceful chant used to create a safe space either. But according to New South Wales law, that's not illegal to say, but gas the Jews is. And that's the argument that Crikey had used to justify its analysis of this footage in a report with Antoinette Latouf, that if the government was alleging a crime had taken place, that crime needed to be verified. It's coverage that definitely drew the attention of Antoinette Latouf's critics to her five-day stint on ABC Radio, which then pressured ABC management into ending her run early, which they did by pretending it was because of an Instagram story about Human Rights Watch, which is about as believable as thinking bananas in pyjamas isn't a terrible name for a kid's show but a great name for a porno about people having sex at bedtime. So why did everyone believe the footage said gas the Jews when it was audibly where's the Jews? Because of a clip released by the Australian Jewish Association. Now, here's what you need to know about the AJA. It sounds like it's the official representative body for the Jewish community in Australia. I mean, it's literally called the Australian Jewish Association. But it isn't. The actual representative body is the Executive Council of Australian Jewry, which I know it sounds like a name that anti-Semites might actually come up with for a fake anti-Semitic organization, but it's the actual real name of the Jewish organization. So the clip with the subtitles was released by the Australian Jewish Association, the fake organization that I mentioned earlier, which should have been suspect to everyone right away because the president of the AJA is David Adler, a guy who was openly racist multiple times and spends most of his time on social media abusing indigenous Australians and accusing anyone critical of him of somehow committing blood libel. 
Peter Wertheim, the CEO of the terribly named Executive Council of Australian Jewry, has even said off Adler that he is, quote, wrong, offensive and bigoted and that he lacks the same sensitivity to other forms of racism that he has for anti-Semitism, end quote. That association with the clip alone should have been enough for Jewish Australians to know that there was something fucked going on. Although you can't blame them because the part that isn't gas the Jews is pretty heinous in and of itself because they literally say fuck the Jews and then they say where's the Jews and I don't think they were asking where out of a concern for the Jews. And so on one side is an extremist organization, the AJA, trying to increase its own relevance by stoking outrage over false claims of anti-Semitism which it didn't need to do because there was a already some pretty real goddamn anti-Semitism in that clip. And on the other side is the owner of Burgatory, who it seems made up claims of death threats and then coincidentally had his store burned down to show that Israelis are mean to Palestinians, when you don't need to do that, the footage of Gaza is enough to prove that point. All of which means... Both sides in this just won a point. Pro-Israel supporters can now say, look, we didn't burn down the place that people like you said we did. And anti-Israel protesters can now say, look, we aren't as anti-Semitic as you say we are. I mean, we definitely are anti-Semitic, just not at illegal levels. Yay, right? Now we can all get along. No, he can't news now. Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan has been sentenced to 14 years in jail. Okay, so a bit of context first. Imran Khan is a former cricketing legend, the only cricket captain to lead Pakistan to a World Cup victory. And then he became Prime Minister of the country. It's as if Instead of dying in Thailand, Shane Warne became Australian Prime Minister, which given some of the choices the Australian public has made in elections, was quite possible. Oh, and Khan didn't become Prime Minister right after the tournament. In between, he launched a cancer hospital where poor people receive free treatment to this day and married three times and divorced twice, which means that while 50% of second marriages end in divorce, 100% of third marriages end in prison in Pakistan. But it wasn't long before he learned the same lesson every civilian government in the country learns, which is you can only get as far as the military lets you. The moment he began to question the authority of the khaki-clad kingmakers who had put him in his seat, well, this happened. Now, Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan and his wife Bushra Bibi have been sentenced to 14 years in jail in a case related to the illegal selling of state gifts. Putting a Pakistani politician in jail for making some extra money on the side is as ridiculous as um, putting an Australian politician in jail for making some extra money on the side. I mean... They all do it. It's basically a job requirement in politics. The reason this is happening now, though, is because Pakistan is about to have an election on the 8th of Feb. This year, the battle for Pakistan's top democratic spot, the prime minister's seat, is between two political dynasties, the Pakistan Muslim League N and the Pakistan People's Party. Missing from this is former prime minister Imran Khan, who has been behind bars since August 2023. His party, the Pakistan Tehreek Insaf, has pretty much been dismantled and party members are running as independent candidates. And those that are running are the few left after the military has kidnapped and tortured most of the party leadership. Oh, and the ones left to run, they don't get to run very far. In Pakistan, a deadly roadside bombing appears to have targeted supporters of former PM Imran Khan after he was sentenced to a decade behind bars. At least four people have been killed and six injured by the blast at a political rally in the city of Sibi. So who is the front runner then in this 
election. All this in the lead-up to the February 8 election, with another former PM, Nawaz Sharif, considered the front-runner. Just days before the 2018 elections, he was convicted and jailed over graft allegations, which analysts say helped Khan win. It looks like Khan's conviction might help Sharif this time around. Nawaz Sharif, who, by the way, has already been Prime Minister three times before, with each of those Prime Ministerships ending with him in jail. So Imran Khan, it seems, is just on the way to becoming Prime Minister many more times still. Biden his time news now. Joe Biden has decided that it's time he reminded the world that America is not to be fucked with and that if you kill American soldiers, then the US will respond in three to seven days. President Biden says he's decided how America will respond to Iran and its proxy forces after three US soldiers were killed in a drone attack. The attack took place in Jordan, although Biden is holding Iran responsible. I do hold them responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. That's Joe Biden. They're saying he holds Iran responsible because they supplied the weapons to the attackers, thus making an inadvertent argument for holding America responsible for the deaths of at least 27,000 Gazans. I'm just kidding. Those equivalencies don't work when Israel or its allies are involved for some reason. Biden's plan involves striking Iran-linked targets in Syria and Iraq. Iran has responded by saying it won't start a war, but will, quote, respond strongly, end quote, which in Iran's case means getting someone else to fight for them somewhere else while killing more women's rights protesters back home. Meanwhile, Joe Biden has also made a shock announcement regarding Israel. As President Joe Biden has approved sanctions on four Israeli settlers accused of attacking Palestinians in the occupied West Bank. The sanctions block the individuals from accessing all of US property, assets and the American financial system. Biden there responding in a speedy fashion after the deaths of only 400 Palestinians in the West Bank killed by the IDF and settlers since October 7th. Close to 100 of those dead are children, a number that Gazans would call quaint given that a new report by Oxfam has pointed out that 250 Palestinians have been killed daily since the attack on Gaza began, exceeding the death toll of any major conflict in several decades. Meanwhile, more than half a million Gazans are currently starving according to Relief agencies, with children being seen eating grass. But an AGAM Institute survey in Israel found that nearly 60% of Israelis oppose providing Gazans with humanitarian aid, while 44% support the permanent resettlement of Israelis in Gaza. Oh, and meanwhile, the head of Israel's National Security Council has said that Hamas has reportedly recovered parts of central and northern Gaza, so it turns out killing thousands of civilians and destroying the entire infrastructure didn't actually work out, but I'm guessing it felt good at the time? Israel's supporters on a WhatsApp group in Australia are now calling Oxfam, Joe Biden, the entire West Bank, all the Gazan dead children, 40% of Israelis who do support humanitarian aid to Gaza, and 66% of Israelis who don't support the Israeli settlement of Gaza, and everyone else on earth except themselves, basically anti-Semitic. That's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. If you like this podcast, please head over to iTunes, give it a five-star rating and a positive review. It really helps with the algorithm and all that stuff. Tell your friends, tell the world, spread the word, join the Patreon. Let's have some fun together. I'm Sami Shah and I'll see you right back here next week on News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines. Weekly. 